We have been focusing in on the the way of Jesus, and we've talked about last week. We talked about the way of Jesus being love. Before that, we looked looked at how the way of Jesus is holiness, being set apart for God. Jesus lived a consecrated life, and He died the death on the cross for us to consecrate us, to set us apart for Himself. He consecrated Himself, giving His life for us and for the Father's uh, plan. And He redeemed us that we might be set apart. And, And then before that, we looked at the way of Jesus being humility. And today we're going to look at the way of Jesus being mission. Uh, we've looked at him, his way being one of humility, one of holiness, one of love. And then the natural outflow of walking on the path of love is living on mission with Jesus. There's a well-known quote from Napoleon that says this, Alexander, Caesar, and Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded His empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for Him. I want you to think about that for a moment as we talk about this mission that Jesus lived and He calls His people to live as well and with the backdrop of what's going on within our world and within our nation. There's many people on political missions right now with political agendas trying to advance the agenda. We've seen people try to use force to advance their agenda and lives be taken, violence spread, Harm being done. And Jesus says, this isn't the way. He teaches us, this isn't the way. The way of Jesus is one of love, and the way of Jesus is one of mission. And even Jesus' own disciples wrestled with this. You know, he had some zealots. Some zealots within his, his crew that were rolling with him. And they were hoping for some kind of overtaking the Roman Empire by force. They were expecting Messiah, the Christ, to overtake the Roman oppressors with force. And even Peter got carried away when when Jesus was arrested by by the Roman soldiers. Peter pulled out his sword to cut off the soldier's ear. And what did Jesus do? He told them to put away your sword. And he healed the soldier's ear. Put away your sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. The way of Jesus is one of love, not violence, physical force. The way of Jesus is changing hearts with His love for us. And then as we receive His love for us, it flows through us into other people. And He changes the world this way. This is what the kingdom of God looked like. You know, I'm encouraged by how Jesus was patient with His disciples because it took a while for them to get this. When in, in Luke chapter nine, when they were when they were traveling and doing ministry, uh, there were some some guys casting out demons who weren't a part of Jesus's twelve, his crew, and and they're like, "Hey, Jesus, should we tell these guys to stop casting out demons because they're not with us?" And Jesus Jesus redirects them and, and, and lets it be a teaching moment, okay? And and then there's a Samaritan, a group of Samaritans who reject Jesus and his crew. And his disciples are like, hey, Jesus, should we call down fire on these guys from heaven? 
And Jesus rebuked them. Because they weren't thinking the right way. They weren't thinking Jesus' way. They were thinking a worldly way of force and vengeance and violence. Okay, And then they were arguing amongst each other about who is the greatest. And Jesus let it be a teaching on humility. About He brought a child and he pointed them to the, the humility of the child, the, the humility of a, of a child and, and says, if you want to be great, be like this child. And so the way of Jesus is different, is countercultural than the ways of this world. And we, as his followers, are in this process of learning from him, learning his ways, and conforming to his ways, and conforming to his image. And so as there's an uproar this week, last week and this week, we saw the, 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 um, the riot within Capitol, and we see this, this uproar around us politically, let us be reminded that the way of Jesus is different, that his kingdom is different than the kingdoms of this world. And so we approach the mission differently than the world approaches it. It's not by force, it's by love. And so the Apostle Paul was somebody who experienced the power of the love of Jesus Christ in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he writes about this love that gripped his life and changed him and led him to live on mission for Christ. Now let's look at this passage. He, he describes the mission of Christ and he describes the motivation for the mission and he describes the message of the missionary. In verse 14, Paul said, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. And all God's people said to this, Amen. So here's our big idea. Jesus lived on mission to reconcile sinners to God through His sacrificial death, and He calls His followers to be His ambassadors with the good message of reconciliation. Jesus lived on mission to reconcile sinners to God through His sacrificial death, and He calls His followers to be His ambassadors with the good message of reconciliation. Okay? Our God is ascending God. Theologians describe this aspect of God as the missio Dei in Latin. 
the mission of God. Okay? God has this mission in the world. And that's to bring rescue, to bring redemption, to bring reconciliation. And Jesus is the center point of that mission. He's sent by the Father into the world to live a life of righteousness and godliness, a perfect life, showing the Father to all who see, showing what God the Father is like perfectly, modeling it, modeling the life of God, the person of God in the flesh for all to see and experience one who's full of grace and truth. And Jesus lived His life on mission. He lived His life with the view of going to the cross and dying upon the cross for the sin of the world. He described His mission in, in Luke 19 as uh, when, 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 he, when Zacchaeus was converted and changed. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. In Mark 10, 45, he said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but He came to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus is describing the nature of His mission. He, is, he lived missionally, being sent by the Father. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And we looked at this last week. This is God's, this is love that God sent His Son into the world to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God is ascending God. Jesus is one who lived on mission. And Jesus sent His disciples. In John chapter 20, uh, 21, I believe, he, he says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Okay? And here at City Church Garland, this is a part of our DNA. This is a part of our vision. This is a part of our values. We aim to know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. We value missional living. We are a people on mission. And when you and I became Christians, we were given an assignment. We were given an inheritance and God's just graced us with so much, but we've also been given a purpose and meaning and assignment, a mission in life. And so let's first look at the motivation for the mission. The motivation for the mission, is the love of Christ. Now, there's a few other uh, motivations that Paul mentions here, but we're just going to focus in on this, because this is, this is where we were last week. We talked about what love is, okay? Why we love, seven reasons why we love, and, and five practical ways that we can live out love, loving one another. And another practical way that, that we can highlight this week to love one another is to let the love of Christ move us to share the truth of Christ with others. That's one of the most loving things that we can do, is share a message of reconciliation, a message of good news, a message of hope at risk of being ridiculed, rejected, and counted as crazy and foolish. That's, that's a loving thing that we can do. Jesus, who lived a life of perfect love on this earth, you know what He went about doing? He went about preaching. And in Mark chapter 1, we'll look at this soon, He said, for this purpose I've come forth. Let us go to the next towns and preach there also. For this purpose I've come forth. 
Jesus lived a life of love by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. Okay, Jesus lived out this life of perfect love and it was this love that got a hold of Saul of Tarsus. The one who was a bounty hunter, a religious bounty hunter, a persecutor of Christians. Jesus met him in, in, in the book of Acts. We read about Paul encountering Christ. And he was changed by Christ. And the love of Jesus got a hold of the Apostle Paul. He said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And He gave Himself for me. You see, this is the fuel for mission for us. It's the love of God displayed through the Son of God, through Jesus' life and death. We've experienced that. We've been changed by that. Paul was changed by that from a persecutor of the church, a persecutor of Christianity, to a preacher of the way. And this is the way. This is the way. For the love of Christ controls us. In the uh, impressive Mandalorian series... We, we see a bounty hunter who was on mission. He was given assignments to go and capture bad guys and bring them in. One of his assignments was to, to, to get this, uh, this guy here, this, this young guy, uh, Baby Yoda, we'll call him. He is given a name later on. And Baby Yoda is rolling with the Mandalorian for, for some time. And over time, the Mandalorian starts to develop a care and a concern for Baby Yoda. He starts to develop a fondness for him. So much so that when Baby Yoda gets in trouble, he is committed to bringing rescue to Baby Yoda to, to go get him. And here's what happens. Y'all remember this scene for those of you who've... Spoiler alert, by the way. If you haven't seen these series, I'm sorry. But here's, here's what happened. These assignments were given through, through uh, these messages, these images that would pop up. And they would be these assignments to go, go get so-and-so would, would pop up. Well, he sends this assignment to the, the ruler of the evil empire, Moff Gideon. And he says this in this moment, in this scene. Moff Gideon, you have something I want. You may think you have some idea of what you are in possession of, but you do not. Soon he will be back with me. He means more to me than you will ever know. And it's this moving scene in the Mandalorian series because all of a sudden the Mandalorian's not just doing a duty, an assignment to just get a reward and get a pay to go rescue somebody, he's actually going to rescue somebody that he cares about, that he developed a genuine concern for. And then at the very end, he expresses that care and concern for him by letting down one of his Mandalorian codes of ethics for the sake of um, relationship. And I'm not going to reveal, spoiler alert there for that. But the Apostle Paul was a former religious bounty hunter of sorts. 
He was out to get people. And he experienced the love of Christ and it captured him. It seized him. It moved him to mission. And it should be the very thing that moves you and I to mission as well. The love of Christ. The love that Christ has for us. And then it flows through us and it moves us. Jesus, when he saw multitudes who were like sheep without shepherds, he was moved with compassion. And he acted. He took action because he was moved with compassion. Now, one of the greatest, greatest barriers that you and I face when it comes to living on mission for Jesus is the barrier of selfishness. The barrier of selfishness, we, we tend towards choosing our own comfort. We tend towards keeping everything nice and neat and comfortable in our lives rather than thinking about taking a risk for somebody else and putting ourselves out there at risk of being rejected, harmed, ridiculed, or even killed to go to a place that's risky and shady for the sake of rescuing somebody or communicating the message of rescue so that they can be rescued. And so Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.15, he says, and Jesus died for all. He died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, the gospel goes for the juggler of selfishness and narcissism. The gospel addresses that broken, that deep, dysfunctional, and broken part in us that just wants to live for ourselves as if we are our own purpose. But the gospel of Jesus Christ deals with that selfish heart. And God gives us a heart of love and compassion, one that's moved with love and compassion for others. Paul Tripp has written a good deal about this particular verse. In his uh, devotional, New Morning Mercies, he, he says this, he comments on this, he says, embedded in this phrase, the, the phrase that we may no longer live for ourselves, embedded in this phrase is a diagnostic that applies to every person who has ever lived. Paul is arguing here that the coming of and sacrifice of Jesus were necessary because the DNA of sin is selfishness. Sin causes me to ignore God's existence and His rightful claim on every area of my life. Because God is not in His rightful place in my living, that is, in the center of it all, I then insert myself in that place. My life becomes all about me. The borders of my concern go little further than my concerns for me. I reduce my focus down to the small space of my wants, my needs, my feelings, and ways that really do shape my living. I make it all about me. The desires of my heart are gobbled up by my ease, my comfort, my pleasure, and my success. I want what I want. When I get what I want, I'm happy. Now, I know this, this sounds gross. And, and, and when we see this heart of selfishness within us, it, it grieves us, right? We're grieved by it. 
And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power to change that within us, to change us and to change the trajectory of our life where we now possess love because we know God. We've been born of God. God is love. We're in authentic relationship with Him. And so really knowing Him leads to loving others. And it drives out. His love drives out the insecurities and the fears and the barriers that keep us back from loving others, that keep us back from living on mission with Jesus and following His way. This is the way. And when Jesus, when Jesus' life intersects our life with our life, when, when He intervenes in our life in a, a point of time in history, He changes our outlook and He changes our way of life in Christ. Notice what Paul says in verse 16 and 17. He says, from, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Now, Saul, Paul who was Saul, didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Okay, at first, until he became a Christian. And, and when we become Christians, God changes our outlook and how we see Jesus and how we see others. We see with a different lens. We see with a lens of grace. With a lens of love. And He changes the way of life for us. I, love the, I quote this verse a lot here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. Our lives, each of our lives should have something that points to this reality that there's been a change. We're different. And Paul says that difference is, in verse 15, we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for Him, for His glory, and for the good of others. Because we believe this message that Christ has died for people. He's died for the world. He's given His life sacrificially. This is love. And it's penetrated our hard, cold, dead hearts. And now our hearts have come alive. And they swell and overflow with love. And that love compels us to action. That love compels us to speak. To reach out. To, to smile, to greet, to embrace, to accept, to say hard things, to speak the truth in love when it's not popular. And so we see, let's look at verse, seven, uh, verse 18. In verse 18, Paul says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself, and He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now notice that the author of this mission is God. All this is from God. Okay, God, God had a plan. God had a rescue plan. And Jesus was his, his man. He, Jesus, was the eternal Son of God, became a human being to carry out that rescue plan. Okay, that's my next point there, that the agent of the mission is Christ. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. And He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, those of us who know God the Father, and those of us who know Jesus, and we're walking in His ways, we're going to tend to move more towards mission because He is a God of mission. And He calls us to live a life of mission. He called His disciples in Mark chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 4. He says, follow me and I will make you 
fishers of men. Okay, this happens. Becoming fishers of men is the work that God does in His people as we follow Him. We have this new care and love and compassion for people because we've been touched by His heart. And the DNA of who we are has changed. It was once a bent towards selfishness and selfishness dominated our lives. But now, those of us who are born of God and are new creations in Christ Jesus, now our trajectory is love and mission because this is the way. And we're following Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? So Jesus is the agent of this mission. It says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How did Jesus reconcile us to Himself? How did this rescue happen? How did this reconciliation happen? Because we needed to be reconciled to God. Romans 5 tells us that we were enemies of God. God demonstrated His love for us and that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. We weren't loving God. We weren't following God. And God came to rescue and Jesus laid down His life. He died for His enemies. This is amazing love. This is a divine love. That when it grips your heart, when you see it and embrace it and experience it, it changes your life. And we need ongoing experiences of being changed by the love of God. That's why the Apostle Paul prayed, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 3, that the church would know the depth and the width and the height of God's love, that by the power of the Spirit, they would get it, that they would know deep down within the love of Christ that passes knowledge. We need to experience that subjectively. We need to feel that, not just know it here. Now, we need to know it and, and believe it and experience it. And that's what changes us. That's what changes us to be loving people, to be wrecked by the love of God in a, in a very good way. Where all the barriers of our selfishness and insecurities come down. They're wrecked. They need to be wrecked. They need to be torn down so that Christ can build up in us the new way of life that He calls us to live. The new way of thinking. Notice in verse 21, here's, here's how Jesus accomplished that mission. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now this whole passage, by the way, is just loaded and dense theologically. And I was thinking, man, there's so many different ways we can uh, go with this and so much time we could spend on each of these sections. And this section, this verse here is worth spending a, lot, a whole sermon on. It's worth it. And there's lots of them out there that you can check out. But this points us to the atonement, to, to the substitutionary atonement. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus Himself in His body taking on the punishment for our sin. He who knew no sin, so He didn't deserve death. He didn't deserve punishment. He didn't deserve condemnation. He didn't deserve to experience the forsaking God the Father. Him, him having to say, Father, why have you forsaken me? Okay, Jesus went there for you and I and hung upon the cross, half naked, 
and, and, and it's just looking weak and looking shameful to many. But this was the Father's plan. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. And by His stripes we are healed. God laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took our place. And this is love, and it's amazing love, and it just, when we get it, it changes us. It, it changes how we approach God. It changes how we approach others. When we realize that Jesus took my place, my guilt is removed now because Jesus took it. My shame and my guilt is removed now. And now He's made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when God the Father looks at us, He sees the righteousness of Jesus. We stand in this righteous position, in this righteous place before the Father because of what Jesus has done. And this gives us confidence to approach God even when we've blown it because Jesus has made us righteous. And His righteousness is the basis of our right standing with God. This is good news. This is the heart of the gospel. This is what's necessary for reconciliation. The punishment, the payment had to be paid. And God paid for it with His Son's death. Next look at the aim of the mission is reconciliation. That is, that is Christ. God in Christ was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting the trespasses against them. And He was entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. A part of reconciliation, of having a restored relationship with God, is forgiveness. Our sins are now forgiven because Christ has paid for them. Okay? So we experience forgiveness. And you know what that also leads to? Friendship with God. We're no longer enemies of God. As uh, Romans 5 tells us, we're, we're friends with God. We've been reconciled with God. And we no longer have the wrath of God stored up upon our lives. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. And we've been brought into friendship with God. And we have fellowship with God. And we will for all eternity because of the grace of Jesus displayed through His sacrifice. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul speaks about this reconciliation, Christ bringing reconciliation to the world. In verse 19, he says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So here's the key. Here's the key to reconciliation with God and peace with God. It's the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, His payment, His atoning sacrifice. And this must be accepted to experience the benefits of forgiveness. We must accept and believe in Jesus to experience the benefits of what He died for. And you who were once alienated and hostile in your mind doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His Son in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Isn't this good news? We sing about this in the great Christmas hymn, Heart the Herald Angels Sing, every Christmas. It's one of our favorites, right? God and sinners reconcile. Peace on earth, his mercy mild, God and sinners 
reconciled. Well, here's the basis for that reconciliation. Here's the basis for that peace. Jesus' death on the cross. And we've come in to experience that through faith. Romans 5.1 We've been made righteous. We've been justified by faith. Christ took our place and we, we believed and we received what He's done for us. The last point here is that the ambassadors of the mission are necessary. The ambassadors of the mission are necessary. Notice verse 19. It says that, that God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now certainly this is, this is Paul who was called to be an ambassador for Christ, a representative for Christ. But every single follower of Christ who's walking with Him is called to represent Him in the world as the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Every single follower of Jesus is called to make disciples. Every single follower of Jesus is called to testify of Jesus, to bear witness of Him, and to share the good news of reconciliation. This is what it looks like when we're following the way. When we're following our crucified Lord and Savior. We live on mission with Him. Notice in, in Romans chapter 10 how Paul explains that the ambassadors of the mission are necessary. Listen to what he says. How then will they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Are your feet beautiful? Are your feet beautiful? My, my son says no. Most, most people's feet aren't too attractive, right? You know, some, some ladies try to work on that by getting pedicures and, and get them spiffed up and make them look attractive so that when they wear the sandals in the summertime, they look, they look nice. But generally speaking, a lot of feet, especially in the first century when you're walking around in dirty, um, dirty dirt roads, all right, and walking through all kinds of animal dung, all kinds of stuff you're walking through. And so, typically, feet weren't too attractive. But those who preach the good news of Jesus Christ, God says even their feet are beautiful. They're attractive. How beautiful are those feet that carry the good news? Being ambassadors for Jesus are necessary today. You and I are called to fill that place, to step up and be representatives everywhere we go. As we've said here, it's not just the pastor, preachers, and missionaries who are called to represent Jesus. Every single Christian is called to the priesthood, if you will, First Peter tells us. We're called to be priests. We're called to be ministers. Those who represent God to, to the outside world, to non-Christians. And we bring the good news of Jesus. God has chosen that people experience reconciliation, redemption, eternal life, rescue through somebody sharing that message with them. Okay? Real simple. And aren't you glad that somebody took the time to share that message with you? At one point in your life, somebody 
came to you and they explained the gospel to you. You heard somebody, whether it was a, somebody uh, through a podcast, through a friend, through a teacher, through a parent, through a YouTube video. At some point in time, you, you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ explained to you. And, and if you're a Christian, at some point in time, it clicked and you became conscious and aware that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And He died for your sins. And, and you responded by turning away from your sins and putting your faith in Jesus, the only hope for rescue. And you experienced the grace of God. That you couldn't earn for, for anything that you've done. You couldn't earn it by anything that you've done. This is what it means to be a Christian. We've experienced the grace of God, the mercy of God. But not only does He rescue us and save us and reconcile us, but He reconciles us so that we might be messengers of reconciliation. That we might be ambassadors, that we might represent him, that we might join him on mission. And let me just say this, if you're bored with your version of Christianity, it might be because you're not living on mission with Jesus. Okay? Because when we're living on mission with Jesus, we experience Jesus changing people's lives, touching people's lives, and it is fun. It's exciting. When we're a part of that, and we get to see an aspect, a part of God, when we're on the front lines, and He's there with us, we get to see an aspect of God working in the world, His nature and His work active in the world and people's lives. And it just stirs our hearts even more. Amen? And maybe if you're, if you're on mission with God and you feel burnt out and you feel like living on mission for Him is just too burdensome and too heavy, it may be... That you need His love. You need to experience His love to motivate you and energize you with His grace to pursue that mission. Amen? And so let's look at real brief, brief here. What, what does it mean to be an ambassador? What does it mean to be an ambassador? Theologian Martin Piercy, uh, in his book, The Power in the Church, Power in the Church, he says, in the first century... An ambassador was an ad hoc representative, usually of a community, though occasionally of an association or individual, commissioned to carry out a particular task, and who returned to the community, association, or individual on the completion of a task. Almost invariably, at the heart of the ambassador's task was an appeal to the person or community who received him. Okay? So an ambassador is a representative, and then they have a message to communicate and an appeal generally to make to, to somebody in a foreign land. Rome, by the way, Rome didn't, didn't send out ambassadors. Okay? Rome sent out armies, and they conquered. And in the first century, they were in power, right? And so people would send from small little places would send ambassadors to Rome, but Rome, they sent out their armies, generally speaking. Ed Stetzer here says this in his book, uh, Christians in an Age of Outrage, explaining here what does it mean to be an ambassador. He says we are sent with an allegiance to Christ. We are sent with an allegiance to Christ. We are sent with a message of reconciliation, and we are sent to a foreign land with a mission 
to complete. All right? We have a mission to complete. And there is one thing that you can't do in heaven, by the way. That is, you can't share the gospel with somebody who doesn't know God. Because in heaven, everybody knows God. Everybody has a relationship with God. Okay? They know Him in heaven. And if you don't know Him here, then you're not going to make it to heaven. Because this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And so we need a relationship with Him. If you're watching online and you're not a Christian, you need to be reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Christ, through what He did on the cross for you. You need to be reconciled to Him and receive His mercy and forgiveness that He offers through His sacrifice on the cross. And so let's, let's close here in just a couple points of, two points of application. The first thing is to ponder the beauty and the depth of the love of Christ. Just ponder. I, I think this is key. For, for us, if we're going to follow the way of Jesus by living on mission with Him, walking with Him, becoming fishers of men, we need to be transformed by His love and compelled by His love Moved with compassion to speak, to act, to serve, to show the love of Christ to others. Again, this is Paul praised this for the Ephesians church, for them to get it, to know the depth and the width and the height of God's love. And we need that too. We need to make, we need to make room in our hearts for Jesus to occupy every area. Okay, one of the things that I like to do, by the way, this time of year, at the beginning of the year, is I like to declutter. In my home, we, we like to get rid of stuff. We got rid of stuff just yesterday. We, we give it away, bring it to goodwill or give it to somebody else who could use it. Okay, find somebody else who can. Let's, let's declutter because we got so much stuff and we want to make room for a home to be functional, to be pleasant. Okay? And there are, there are things in our lives and in our hearts that I think Jesus wants, wants to work on. He wants access to. Um, there's a there's a, a great little book, Robert by Robert. Um, forgot his last name, but it's called Christ Christ My Home. It's a great little analogy of of Jesus wanting to take over every area, every crevice of our hearts and our lives. And in the illustration, there's some hesitancy to certain areas. When Jesus wants to go into certain areas, there's this hesitancy. Oh, no, don't go into that closet. Don't go into that room. Right? There's some hesitancy there. But when we really see His love for us, we see Him for who He is, we see His heart, it disarms us. It it helps bring down those barriers. We realize that He's not coming in to, to destroy us. He wants to heal us. Some of us are living like hoarders inside of a home, in a heart. There's just so much clutter and so much mess. And Jesus wants to lovingly come in and bring cleansing and bring healing and bring reconciliation and redemption. And you got all these other things piled up in your heart and your mind just, just uh, consuming you and, and holding you back from following the way of Jesus, from following Him. Living on mission for Him, with Him. 
So ponder the beauty and the depth of the love of Christ. Think about it. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says here and on commenting on 2 Corinthians chapter 14. He says the constraining force was the love of Christ. That love, according to our text, is the strongest when seen in his dying for men. Think of this love till you feel it, its constraining influence. It was love eternal. Love unselfish. Love most free and spontaneous. Love most persevering. Love infinite. Inconceivable. It passes the love of women and the love of martyrs. All other lights of love pale their infectual brightness before this blazing sun of love whose warmth a man may feel but upon whose utmost light no eye can gaze. Ponder the beauty and the depth of the love of Christ and let it wreck those barriers in your heart and your life and your thinking that you've set up that have isolated you from others, from God. By the way, that reconciliation that we experience with God, that leads into reconciliation with other people. That leads to racial reconciliation. Ephesians chapter 2. It tears down barriers where we start to see people differently and we start to love them with the love of Christ because we've been changed by it. And so lastly, this is my very last slide. Proclaim the message of reconciliation moved by the love of Christ. Proclaim it. Proclaim it on your social media. Proclaim it to your neighbors. Proclaim it to your co-workers. Proclaim it to your family. Proclaim it to people you meet on the street, strangers. Proclaim the message of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus and don't be ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. And if somebody's going to believe, they have to hear it. And if somebody's going to hear it, they have to have somebody tell them the message. And that's where you and I come in. It's amazing that God, it, it, just, it just blows me away that God would use you and me to communicate His words, His message, that would, that would be a, a, um, um, the means of, of somebody experiencing eternal salvation. Because they heard it and they believed the gospel. People need to hear the gospel, the good news of that message. David Bosch says this. He says, to participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love toward people. Since Christ is a fountain of sending love. Let's pray. And as we pray, would you just ask the Lord what area in your heart, in your life, does He want to help clean up? Help you clean up? He's not somebody who just says, do it yourself. He's somebody who steps in and He helps lift the burden. He joins us and helps lift the burden. And His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And He paid the penalty for your sin. And so if you're watching or you're here today and 
you don't know Christ, and you're carrying the burden of the world, you're carrying the burden of your guilt and your shame and your fears and your insecurities and your brokenness, and you're just weighed down, and you need reconciliation with God, peace with God, rest for your soul. Jesus has come to me. I'll give you rest. Children, if you're here today, or you're watching online, and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, and you want to experience forgiveness, come to Jesus. Turn from your sins. Trust Him. Confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Believe that He died for your sins. That He was buried and that He was raised up from the dead. And Romans 10 says you will be saved. You'll be redeemed. You'll be reconciled. Just respond to what He's done. Receive what He's done. Believe what He's done for you. Believe that He really loves you. Not just the world. He loves you. And so, Lord, show us how much you love us. And transform us by that love. As Jesus said, Father, I declare your name to them. And will declare it so that the love which you love me with would be in them. May that be so with us. You are the Lord gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love. And you have shown us that in history, and in the history of our lives. So may we really know it in our hearts, in our minds, and may we be changed by it. May we be compelled to mission, compelled to speak, compelled to go, compelled to serve, compelled to show your love. May we be conduits of your love. Not just not cul-de-sacs. God, let your love flow through us. In Christ's name we pray.